Is it still okay to say Happy New Year? Happy New Year. And I've been thinking about 2018 a lot, been praying, and, and I, I really do sense this is a very, very key, pivotal, and incredible year for our church right in front of us. And I, I know many of you have prophetically been discerning that. And we're praying into what is God going to do in 2018. I think He's going to expand our faith. He's going to take us into places we've never been before. It's going to be an awesome and incredible year. I mean, where else would you rather be than what God is doing right here in this city? Amen? Well, of course, you might want to be in Hawaii, except that they were in trouble for a while there yesterday. Did you know that? Did you, did you realize what happened to them? Apparently, someone sent a government text, took over everybody's cell phone saying, Run for shelter, ballistic missiles are on their way. And if you know where Hawaii is, you know that that part of the world, that could actually happen. And then 38 minutes later, they sent another text, oops, you know, sorry, it was a mistake. Someone pressed the wrong button. Wow, that's all it takes to, to create that kind of havoc. Well, we are believing God for an incredible year. And uh, my wife, Marianne, and I, we just got back the end of last weekend. We were away in Manitoba for my dad's memorial service. And I want to thank you, all of you who prayed for us. We really sensed it. I was at complete peace from the moment I got on the airplane to the moment I got back. And uh, the Lord gave us strength, and he met us in special ways. And I just know that people's lives were touched. I got to give a tribute for my father uh, in, the, in the service. And I led him to faith three years ago at age 85. So I was able to share that story, and I know it had... Uh, an encouraging effect on many people that were there. We're praying for the people. Uh, thank you for praying for my mom. Uh, she has many, many big adjustments to make now, and I'll be out there seeing her in a couple more weeks. But thank you for all of you who've been praying for us. And hey, around here, there's been some incredible things happening lately. Leading up to Christmas, we had the Engage series, and we talked about taking our faith, our serving, and our generosity to the next level. Guess what? Everything went to the next level. A tremendous increase in faith happened right here in you guys in this church. And uh, people have stepped forward saying they've had miraculous financial provision. They've had raises in pay. Some people have had new jobs offered to them. Uh, some people have had debts paid off. Uh, they weren't expecting it, but suddenly some, you know, someone came forward and just paid off a debt for them. And we have seen that happen again and again. So faith has been rising. Then serving has been increasing. So many of you were praying for and involved in Christmas Eve. We had like a, an army of people here, 150 of you, and uh, doing four services. And God reached out to our city to 1,500 people on Christmas Eve. So that was also increasing. Then there was also uh, an increase in generosity. Did you know this, that the month of December, hear me on this, the month of December was the highest month for giving in the history of this church. Wow, that's great. $215,000. There's a, there's a write-up on this in your bulletin. You can check it out. And on Christmas Eve alone, $6,300 was given to the Compassion Fund. And because of your generosity, God has opened up territory for us. And now that gap that we had between budget and income, right, it went from 20%. There's still just a 4% gap there. We're trusting God for that as well. But let's pray that we hold on to the ground that God has given to us, and we celebrate that. Amen? Amen. All right, we're in a new series of messages starting today. And for the next four to five weeks, we're going to be looking at our vision and at the beginning of the year, we want to establish really, really clearly who we are, what we're all about. And so our vision is summed up in these seven words, releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
And we do believe that that expresses what our future is all about, why we're here, and what we're committed to. We want to see Jesus continue to build his church and to see captives set free and to see people's lives touched dramatically by God, to see healings, to see people come to faith and the lost found. We want to see all of that. And we believe that's summarized in those words, releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is going to stop his church from advancing, right? Nothing can stop his church from going forward. His church is unstoppable. And so we do believe that as we get into alignment with the kingdom of God in Jesus, as we step forward in faith, nothing is going to stop us, right? Nothing can stop us because he's building his church through our lives. So the question is, what happens with that? How do you get that done? What are the important ways in which we will release the kingdom of heaven on earth? And so in this series, we're going to paint that picture a little bit more brightly. And over the last several months, we've been praying and reading the scriptures and seeking for words to express uh, what we will do to release this vision. And we've summarized them down to four things. Here they are. We will encounter God's presence. We will embrace kingdom life. We will experience community. And we will change the world. Now, those four things are shaping us already. We're really just putting words to what's already happening here. And we believe in the, in the months and years and decades ahead that those four things, you can call them four essentials or four pillars, whatever you want to call them, they will guide us, they will help us to envision, they will help us to, to step forward as a church here in our city and in our world. And today I'm kicking off our first message by looking at what it means to encounter God's presence. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. And then I'm going to give you a few more verses to look at. They are Isaiah chapter 64, Mark chapter 1, Luke's gospel chapter 23, and then two more, Joel 2 and Acts 2. And if you don't remember those, we'll, we'll highlight them for you in a moment as well. We're going to learn today about encountering the presence of God. Is there anything more important to us than encountering the presence of God? I've been saturating myself in the scriptures lately, looking at both Old and New Testaments to see, you know, how does God invite people into his presence? What's going on there when he does? And, and to me, it is stunning how much God is showing us in his word that he wants to reveal himself to people. He's ready to reveal himself to people. And in Habakkuk chapter 2 at verse 14, we have kind of a, an umbrella a passage, if you will, that will, will lead us into this message, and I'll pick it up at the end of our time later on. But it's a prophetic word from the Lord given through Habakkuk, and it says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This prophetic word is actually in process. It's increasing towards that time of fulfillment when Jesus will return and set up his kingdom ultimately here in this, in this world, that there's a day coming when the glory of God will be seen by people, encountered by people, and we're living into that reality every single day. This is a prophetic word for us to step forward into, and I believe it's an invitation for us. And I think it's saying to us, God is actually ready and willing 
to have us encounter His presence right now. It can happen right now. That there's no barriers, there's no restrictions that prevent that from happening. So we're going to look at some other things here. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 64. This is really the main passage for today. And when I get feeling a little blue, I turn to this passage and others in Isaiah because they really encourage my heart. Isaiah chapter 64, if you don't have a Bible, the words are up on the screen. This is what it says. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. Is there anything more important than us being able to encounter the presence of God. I remember the first time I experienced that after I was a believer. I was about 20 years of age. I was with some other young adults on one of the islands on the West Coast. And we were seeking God with all of our hearts. We were all brand new Christians. And we had fasted for three or four days. And we were on our knees in a little cabin on an island, praying for hours and I think it was about hour number five or number six, somewhere like that, I had an encounter with God's presence that changed my life. In a flash of a moment, I felt like God lifted my spirit right up to His face in heaven, and the closer I got to Him, the more I felt the love and the joy and the excitement of Him, and I got so close to Him that I couldn't actually take it anymore, and I went back down into my human realm. I found myself laying on my back. And I do believe that for me, that was my baptism in the Holy Ghost moment. That was a moment that changed my life. And I realized that encountering God is not just something mythical. It's not just something vague. It's not just something for a few people. It's something for every one of us. And I believe that God wants some of you to encounter His authentic living presence even today. And I believe He's going to do that for you. I believe by the end of our service, you're going to have an encounter with him that's going to be real and authentic and powerful in your life. Now, I don't know if you sensed it or not, but you know, when I was reading Isaiah, didn't you sense his heart of anguish? You know, like, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down? Didn't you sense that he was crying out in desperation to see this moment when he and his people would actually encounter the living God? Isaiah was living in a time when the heavens felt like they were closed, and uh, he was asking God for a breakthrough in his experience, and he was longing for it. Isaiah was living at a time when people were, were shallow in their faith, and they were just giving lip service to God. They had a fairly beautiful temple building, and everybody was going there, but as God said through Isaiah in chapter 29 of that book, their, their, their lips praise me, but their hearts are far from me. And so Isaiah was in deep agony about this. He saw the, the shallow faith in the people and the callous hearts that they had. And uh, he cries out to God one day saying, Oh God, when are you going to break through? 
When are you going to come down and reveal yourself in your wonder and in your splendor? Isaiah is a temple prophet. He's not a wilderness prophet. He based his whole prophetic ministry inside the realm of God's gathering of his people. And so he knew when the Spirit was moving in his times. And he's crying out that it would do that. Probably he was thinking about, you know, all those other times when God moved in power. You ever done that? You try to remember back to old glory days, revival times. I think Isaiah was trying to picture things like this. He was thinking about Genesis 28 when Jacob, one of our patriarchs, has a sleep outside, puts his head on a rock, has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a stairway going up to heaven. And he sees angels of the Lord, of God, ascending and descending upon that stairway. And at the top of the stairs is God. He wakes up from that moment and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Maybe Isaiah was thinking about that. Or maybe he was thinking about Exodus 3 when when Moses came across a burning bush and it was on fire and he was intrigued by it. So he he drew near to it and he heard the voice of God speaking to him. And God said to him, take off your shoes for the place that you're standing is holy ground. Or maybe Isaiah was thinking about Exodus 19 and Mount Sinai when God descended upon that piece of land, that mountain in smoke and in fire and in wind with trumpet blasts. And the people saw the living God descending upon Mount Zion, as it were. Maybe he was also thinking about 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The temple was built. The instruments were ready. The singers were there. They went into the temple, the brand new temple, and they started worshiping. And it says there that they started singing a song. And the song was basically this, you are good and your love endures forever. And then it says this at the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. I think that Isaiah is remembering these moments in the history of the people of Israel. And he's telling himself, there were times when the presence of God came upon his people in power and in glory and in great evidence of his strength. And why is it not happening again? Isaiah wants it to happen. It's as if he's saying, do it again, God. Do it in my time. Do it in my life. Show me yourself. Show your presence. Show your glory. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would touch your people and that you would renew them. Isaiah was longing for something that would not be fulfilled in his lifetime. It's like God gave him a prophetic angst for something that would happen at another point in human history. But his crying out here reminds me of the many times that I and others have prayed for revival and for awakening and for renewal in the same way. Oh God, would you rend the heavens and come down? In fact, I remember doing that in 1997 to 1999. For two years, I was on, a, I was on an intercessory team of prayer warriors across Canada, and we would fly to different cities and do prayer conferences. And we would pray from Isaiah chapter 64, Oh God, when are you going to come down? When are you going to show your power and your glory? When are you going to touch our nation called Canada? When are you going to restore your, your church and bring it to vibrancy again? And we would pray our hearts out. And our church has never changed. 
and the landscape of Canada did not get better, but got worse spiritually. I eventually fulfilled my term with that group of people that I was on, and I went back home and quietly started praying for revival around here. I've been praying for renewal and awakening and revival for over 20 years. Here's the thing, though. It's no longer effective to pray the way Isaiah prays. It's no longer biblically allowed for us to pray, Oh God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Oh God, would you only reveal yourself in glory and in power once again? It's the wrong way to pray because God has already done it. We're not living under a closed heaven anymore. We're not living under a heaven that needs to be ripped open. Guess what, friends? It's been ripped open. So the whole posture of our praying is not begging God to come and visit His people. God is saying, I want to visit my people. I am ready to visit my people. I am present with you now, and I want to show you my glory. When we shift in our understanding and get into alignment with what the Scriptures say, suddenly we're stepping into that posture of being a church that is unstoppable because we're accessing what God has called us to access. You say, is this really so? Biblically, amen and amen and amen. Yes, yes, yes. Let it be so. We'll see that in a moment. Because here's what's happened. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, has opened up for us, continuously opened up and kept open for us the heavenly realms so that we can encounter God at any moment, even right now. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling where? Among us. God came into this world. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has intervened. God has sent His Son into this world. The heavens are no longer closed, they're wide open. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. God did come down, not just in smoke and in wind and in fire, but in the person of His Son, Jesus. And so Jesus began preaching the gospel of the kingdom when He was on earth. And you know what He said? The kingdom's here. Now you can enter into it. You can encounter the presence of the Father. You can step right into this kingdom and live in it because the kingdom is advancing in your midst. The access has shifted. The new era has begun. God's incredible, perfect, powerful presence has come into this world through Jesus. And while He was on earth in His obedience to the Father, we read about this in Mark chapter 1. Speaking about the baptism of Jesus, at verse 9 it says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. By the way, he set an example for all of us. For every one of us to follow him in water baptism. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw what? He saw heaven being, say it, torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, take a look at that phrase, torn open, for a moment. We're going to see it show up again in Luke chapter 23. You can turn there. The phrase torn open comes from the, the original language Greek word, 
uh, schizo. You can add on the word phrenia there and you know what you get. And it means to be torn apart. It means to be rent asunder. It means to be split into different pieces. And it's usually associated with something quite dramatic and evidential. God is saying there in his word in Mark chapter 1 that when Jesus was water baptized, hear me church, when Jesus was baptized in water, the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove in bodily form. By the way, there are three things that always relate together in the Bible. They are the glory of God and they are the Spirit of God and they are the presence of God. So when you're encountering the glory of God, you're stepping into His presence. When you're experiencing the presence of God, you're getting there by the help and way of the Holy Spirit. And you can check that out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 at verse 18. But back to Mark chapter 1. Are you with me? Can't hear you. All right. Mark chapter 1, we see for the first time in the New Testament that the Trinity is involved in this moment. And whenever you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together like that, you ought to highlight that in your Bible. Because that means something monumental is taking place. So at the baptism of Jesus, we have the Father speaking His words of identity and affirmation to His Son. We have the Son being baptized. We have the Spirit coming like a dove, telling us it's a brand new day. So Isaiah's prayer gets answered dramatically. Dramatically here in Mark chapter 1. But there's more. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 23. This is the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus. He's already been under trial. He's already been nailed to the cross. And he's up there on that cross on a hill called Golgotha. Luke 23 at verse 44. Here's what it says. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Same word, schizo, torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Now this temple curtain was something that everybody knew represented a barrier towards the presence of God. Only certain people could cross that line. You could maybe be a priest and get through, but only the most high priest could get in once a year into the Holy of Holies. That curtain was a barrier between God and His people. And it was huge. It was tall and it was wide and it was four inches thick and it was woven together with metal strands. It took 30 priests to move it when they had to change it. But now at the moment of Jesus' death, As he's hanging there on that cross, absorbing our sins, every single one of them. He is making atonement for the sins of the world. And we are there with him. We are crucified with Christ, the Bible says. And our sins were placed upon him. Anybody got a sin issue today, the cross has taken care of it for you. Anybody living in guilt or shame today, the blood of Jesus washes away all guilt. And as Jesus hung there on that cross and he made perfect atonement for the sins of all people in this world, as he breathed up his last, giving himself as an offering and as a sacrifice in the heavenly realms to the Father, the Bible says that the temple curtain was torn in two, ripped in half. 
Now, if you're a temple Levite and you're hanging up there that day in Jerusalem, you would have heard it. You might not have been there, but you would have heard the tearing, the ripping sound. You would have come running into the room saying, what's going on? And they all say, we don't know. But the temple's torn, the temple curtain is torn in half. All of that is a powerful revelation of what's really going on there. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. Wow. The heavens are open. The heavens are open. The heavens have, have been ripped open by God through the life and death of Jesus. Now, whosoever will may come into the presence of God. But it gets even better. Turn with me to Joel chapter 2. This wonderful prophecy of what's going to happen in the last days. Joel chapter 2 at verse 28. Joel's such a wonderful prophet. He saw things that were going to happen later, not in his lifetime. And here is one of the prophetic things that he said that would come to pass. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to let my presence come upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel is predicting a moment in time when the presence of God will be poured out lavishly on all people. Can you imagine if you were him, you're saying, I want to live in that era. And God may have said to him, sorry, Joel, that's not your role to fulfill. I've got some other people who will live in that era. And so on one day, one glorious particular day in Acts chapter 2, we have the moment when Joel's prophetic word was fulfilled. Turn to Acts chapter 2 at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy back in Old Testament times. It happened on the day of Pentecost when the early church was there, after Jesus had been resurrected, and after Jesus had ascended up to the Father's right hand in heaven, they are gathered together. They're praying. They're saying, Oh God, we're ready. We're ready for you. And then the Spirit comes. The Spirit comes upon them in power and in might, bringing the presence of God into their lives. Wow. The great news for us, friends, is this. We are living in those days now. 
The Spirit is no less available to us than it was on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit is no less being poured out now than He was back then. This is a continuation moment. We're living into the times when the Spirit is continuing to be poured out upon men and women today. Many times throughout history, people have dared to believe this. And they've put their lives into a posture of receptivity, saying, God, if you did that in Acts chapter 2... I would like to have that encounter with you. And guess what? They got it. They got it. Let me tell you a couple stories about that. Back in 1907, in April, in Nyack Seminary, which was at one point the headquarters of the Alliance Movement 125 years ago or so. In 1907, at the end of the semester when all of the students at the Pastoral and Missionary Training Institute were together, As they were winding up and having their graduation services, the Spirit of God came upon them in Nyack. Students fell to the ground. Some spoke in tongues. Some had visions and dreams. Some went into trances. People were filled with joy. People wept out loud. And the Spirit continued to move. And it rested upon them for seven days. We have records of this in our denomination. Back then, the early leaders of the Alliance were saying, what do we do now? Well, how do, we, how, do we, how do we lead this? The answer is, you don't lead it. It leads you. Back in 1907 was a hallmark year for the early Alliance tribe. And our early beginnings show us as a people who gathered around the presence of God. Let me go back a little bit further in history. Tell you about Charles Finney. I love Charles Finney. The great American revivalist and evangelist in the early 1800s. One day in upstate New York, he went into a cotton mill because when Finney came to town, all the people who were Christians said, we just want to get you everywhere because you're just soaking in the Holy Spirit. And he went into a cotton mill, a factory, and he saw some women at the back and they were kind of laughing about him. And he made his way up there slowly and stood and just looked at the two women workers. They burst into tears and went on their knees and repented. The owner of the factory, the manager, said, what are we going to do? Because other people were starting to sense the presence of God in the room. So they shut the factory down, and they had a worship service. And pretty much everybody in that whole place came to Jesus that day. God was moving in power and in might. But let's not think for a moment that God only wants to do it back then. Let's not think for a moment that we don't qualify. Can we just get rid of that thought? We qualify because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are qualified to receive the inheritance of the Father, the full inheritance. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible in John 3, 34. It says, God gives the Spirit without measure. You ever read that verse? You ever studied it with Paul and his theology in Ephesians? God gives the Spirit without measure. In other words... He is given the Spirit. He's giving the Spirit in its fullness. He doesn't just give part of the Holy Spirit. He gives all of it. So as we're praying for renewal and awakening in our city and in our nation, yeah, I don't think we should be praying like this. Oh, God, would you, would you send the Spirit? Would you send 75% to Toronto because they really need you there? And would you give 25% of us to this area over here and maybe a little bit over to New Brunswick because they need you there too? God is not spreading out His Spirit into chunks. No, He gives the Spirit without measure. The only restriction is us. The only inhibitor of the work of the Spirit is us. 
And so when I think about what that means for my life and my response to God, I can only think of the phrase, surrender it all. If I want to encounter God in His presence in its, in its fullness, without measure, then I'm going to have to come to a place of complete surrender to Him. Paul the Apostle prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that God would strengthen you by His Spirit in your inner being. That's another description of how the, how the work and the filling of the Spirit occurs in the life of the believer. That God would strengthen you with His Spirit in your inner being, in your soul. And then he says this, that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How much fullness is there in God? How big is God? He's huge, right? He's everlasting. Uh, he's infinite. He's majestic. He's, you can't describe Him with human words. And Paul is saying, you get to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. There's more. There's more. In my life, four years ago, I had an amazing encounter with God. I was so hungry, so desperate. I spent days and days and days praying and calling out to God and saying, God, when are you going to meet me? When are you going to meet me? When are you going to meet me? And, and I went to a Holy Spirit conference and Enjoyed it. Went there for three, four days. And, and every time they had an altar, I went call. I went up to the front and I got prayed for. And every time the same thing happened, the people said to me, you already have what you need. I said, well, I, how, how do you know that? They said, I don't know. We just know you have what you need. Go back. I'm like, oh, really? And it really troubled me because I thought, I don't think I have all that I need. And as I was driving home from that conference, some of you know this story, God met me in a powerful way. His spirit came upon me like it hadn't since I was a brand new Christian changed my life again. Now, here's the thing. You can have encounters with God that are huge and powerful and demonstrative. But if you're riding on yesterday's fillings, guess what? You're missing out on more. You can't just camp on an experience you had with God last year, four years ago, 20 years ago, yesterday. It's like manna, right? God says, I want to I feed you the bread of heaven, which you have to eat every day. You can't store it up. The Spirit wants to flow through you like a river. You can't put a, put a bottleneck on Him. You can't just sort of circle your wagons and say, I've got you and, and uh, I'm never going to let you go. No, He wants to flow through you. Now, every person who's a follower of Jesus already has the Holy Spirit. You guys know that, right? When you became a follower of Jesus, you were born of the Holy Spirit. And He is in you. And you've got all of the Holy Spirit because He can't be chopped up into portions. You have all of the Spirit living in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've been born again, as the Bible says, born of the Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. But here's the thing. You have all of the Holy Spirit, but He wants all of you. And so there's fillings. There's a baptism experience of the Spirit. There's an encounter with God that He has for every single one of us. It happens after conversion. After we have started the walk with Jesus, it can happen even very quickly after conversion, but it happens after we've begun the journey. There's another encounter with God. And God is inviting us to ongoing encounters with His presence, ongoing fillings, ongoing moments when we realize the heavens are opened up. The access to the Holy of Holies has been given to me and to you as believers. The Spirit of God has been poured out. The Spirit is continuing to be poured out and the presence of God is not locked up in heaven anymore. So we can say this to ourselves. 
Through Jesus, I have full access under an open heaven to the authentic living presence of God right now. That's yours. What is it that holds us back from that? Well, probably a couple things. One of them might be fear. Fear of losing control. Hmm. Are you really in control of your life anyways? Really? Everything? I think God can do a better job leading you than you can lead yourself, right? Fear of control, losing control. Here's, here's another thing that prevents us from stepping into this. Bad theology. Bad beliefs that are not based in the Bible. Where we tell people, you know what, you can't really expect that. It doesn't happen anymore. Oh yeah, it happened on the day of Pentecost, but it certainly doesn't happen in our time. Rubbish. <laughs> it's happening. And the Bible says it should be happening, Right? Or maybe it's a fear of basing your faith on experience only. I understand that. We're not talking about basing your faith on experience only. Of course not. We're talking about basing your faith on the written word of God in the scriptures. And then as you step out in faith and encounter God, that will lead you into a moment and an encounter with him. Or maybe it's just too many distractions. You want to be filled, but you don't, you don't really open up your heart long enough for God to touch you in a special way. Think of what God will do in your life or in your marriage or in your career if you encounter his presence. Friends, this is why we worship together. The number one way that we encounter the presence of God is in a worship gathering. I believe it's the most essential meeting of the week. We're not here gathering around a sermon or a song or a personality we are here gathering around the real, authentic, living presence of Jesus. Amen? This is why we've come. There's nothing else worth coming for, believe me. We are here to gather around the real, living, authentic presence of Jesus. And he's here. And so when I tell myself that he's really here, I come with expectation. I come with a heart that says, God, I am wide open to whatever you want to say to me and do in me today. Revival or renewal doesn't happen when God comes down to the earth. God has come down in the person of his son. Revival happens when his church rises up and takes her place and claims her inheritance and receives the outpoured spirit in fresh ways in our times. Now, we're living in the last days, according to Joel. We're living in the last days, and we are like 2,000 plus years into the last days. Do you think that the Spirit is any less willing to pour himself out now than he was 2,000 years ago? Of course he's willing. God is not withholding anything from us. Everything that we need has been provided for us, right? That's why it says in Ephesians, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You've already been blessed. Go take them by faith. Just grab those blessings and receive them into your life and live them out. Believe the promises of God, right? Believe them. And live into them until that is a realized promise fulfilled for you. Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You see, the renewal that we long for in our own lives and in the church, the renewal that we long for on God's side of things, he's saying, I'm ready. You guys ready? We're ready in heaven. Are you guys ready? Heaven, are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. We're ready, Lord. Are you ready down here? That's what, that's what God's saying to us. Are you ready for more? Because more is coming. It's just a question of whether you receive it or not. And if it doesn't land here, it'll land somewhere else. 
Might as well be right here. There is a moment, I think, when all these things come together in our life, when the Scriptures speak to us and the Spirit prompts us and we lay hold of these things and we say, yes, Lord, let it be so right now. Let us live in your presence right now through Jesus Christ. Isaiah saw it and he burst out one day in some other words in Isaiah chapter 60. There are awesome words. He said, arise and shine for your light has Come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. God has already made this accessible for us. I invite our worship team to come on up. God has already made this accessible for us. He's already made it available for us. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, rises upon you. And so when the church steps forward into this, when we believe this, then we become unstoppable. Then we become that movement again that is not defined by denomination or simply by doctrine, but is defined as a movement of the kingdom of Jesus in this world. And God is saying to us every day in his word, will you, will you encounter my presence? Will you turn your face to me? Because I've already turned my face towards you through Jesus. And there's a day coming. There's a day coming, Habakkuk says, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's that great moment when Jesus returns to this world. But until then, we're living into more and more of what he's doing. Let's stand together.